come this Lord's Day to continue in our study, the God of all comforts. God comforts us by the oath He made to Christ, appointing Him our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God actually saves us by our high priest Christ taking away the animal sacrifices that God does not delight in and establishing the will of God which Christ delights in. It is in Christ's very body acting as our high priest forever that this crucial work was accomplished on the cross. Hebrews adds this conclusion, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews next provides another contrast between the priesthoods of Aaron and Christ. Aaron's sacrificial work never ceased because the same old animal sacrifices could never take away our sin. Aaron's work was never finished, never completed, and he never rested from it. In all the detailed depictions of tabernacle and temple furnishings, there weren't any chairs to be found at all. But there is a chair in glory, a throne in fact, where our Lord Jesus has sat down. Aaron's sacrifices went on forever, but could never take away sin. Christ's sacrifice was once for all for our sin, and it took them all away. And therefore, Christ sat down. And because Christ rests from His sacrificial work for us, we rest in Christ's perfection of our redemption and justification. Our justification is accomplished and our crimes are discharged by the blood of Jesus. And so He sat down and all who trust in Him now are commanded to rest with Him. But note well the exalted place Christ sits. Our great Man of Calvary, the Lord Jesus, is enthroned at the right hand of power and glory now. This resting place of exaltation for Christ comes as no surprise. After all, Jesus promised it would be so at His trial before the Jewish leaders. There Jesus declared Himself to be Messiah, God manifest in the flesh, and that someday His haters and murderers would see Him in the glory seated with power. In rage, they killed the Lord of glory. And so our Lamb was slain for us then. But previously in Hebrews, reference to the glory of Christ's situation has been described repeatedly. In the third verse, after He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews quotes from Psalm 110, where God commanded Christ to sit at His right hand till he makes Christ's enemies his footstool. By doing so, Hebrews establishes that link between God's solemn oath to Christ regarding his high priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, also found in Psalm 110, and Christ's exaltation as God and man in glory forever. That's because Melchizedek was not only a priest of the Most High God, but he was also the King of Peace, and his name means king of righteousness. Thus we discover that the solemn oath of God to Christ includes Christ's exaltation as our king of peace and righteousness as well. All of which proves for the Jewish believers reading Hebrews 
the identity and work of Jesus Christ as the priest that saves us from sin by the sacrifice of Himself, and as our great King also, who is our righteousness, as Jeremiah foretold He would be. The very one who takes away our sin before God is the very same one who lays His perfect obedience and righteousness upon us as our King, as our ruler. The comfort that God gives to us by His oath to Christ to be our priest forever is now seen to be far greater and more wonderful than we first believed. And now we come, of course, to Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 14, which reads, For by one offering He, that is Christ, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering, Christ has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now this declares what the offering finally accomplishes, doesn't it? The perfection of those who are sanctified, accomplished by the one-time offering by Christ of His own body and blood for our sin. But notice, it only applies to those who are sanctified. And who are the sanctified? Well, you go back to verse 10. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. By God's will established by Jesus to save God's people given to Christ, for whom God has appointed Christ to be our high priest and king by that great oath. Those are the people that are sanctified, in verse 10, by the will of God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And it is those same sanctified people by the offering of Christ that are perfected. So to be sanctified is tied inexorably to to be perfected by the sacrifice of Christ. And it's according to God's will, which gets us all back into the statement of God's will, which is that Christ should not lose a single one of those whom God has given to Him, that He should lay down His life for the sheep whom God His Father has given to Him. Those who are given to Christ by God are the ones that Christ has sworn and committed to redeeming and saving unto the uttermost, unto everlasting life. And He will not lose a single one. And that will of God in salvation is expressed by His will to overthrow the animal sacrifices which could never save and to replace them with the one-time sacrifice of Christ by which we, according to the will of God, are sanctified sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all, whom Christ has perfected forever through the offering that He made. We are sanctified by the body of Jesus offered up once, and now by that one offering He's perfected forever those who are sanctified. So we are sanctified by the sacrifice which perfects all who are sanctified by that sacrifice. 
So for those people who would like to wriggle out of the glorious result of Christ's sacrifice, taking away our sin, they can't hide behind some esoteric definition of sanctified because in the end, all who are sanctified by the sacrifice are perfected by the sacrifice. Therefore, note well, folks that were sanctified temporarily or ceremonially under the old covenant, under the law, by the animal sacrifices, were set apart unto God. They were made ceremoniously holy and pure before God, but they just weren't ever perfected, you see. It's one thing to be marked by the sacrifice and set apart as holy unto God. It's another to also be perfected by the sacrifice by which God has sanctified us. And so the animal sacrifices to pin the thing down, to point to the crucial differences, they may have sanctified people after a way or in a way, like Christ's sacrifice sanctifies all of His people. What they couldn't do was perfect the people that they sanctified, like Christ's sacrifice here is declared does. Perfected means our sins have been taken away by Christ's blood, forgiven and cleansed. We've been justified, declared righteous for Jesus' sake. God has been propitiated by the sacrifice of Jesus so that there's no more wrath for us. This is what the word to be perfected by the offering of the Lord Jesus for sin accomplishes in the Lord's people. But look at how Hebrews has used this word perfected before to point out the sharp distinction between the law, the old covenant, the animal sacrifices on the one hand, and Christ's one-time offering and the new covenant on the other hand. In Hebrews chapter 7 at verse 17, we've already studied it, for he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a better hope did, by the which we draw near unto God. It says the law maketh nothing perfect. The law justifies no man. It cleanses no man. Why? Because we will not and cannot obey the law, can we? We can't obey it. All the law does is provide us with the knowledge of our sin. The law is weak and unprofitable. The old covenant is weak and unprofitable. Why? Not because they're not noble and good and just in themselves, but because of our sinful flesh that breaks the law and violates the covenant, the old covenant that is, which is do this and live, break this law and die. There is the reason that it's weak and unprofitable. But the better hope is that new covenant wherein God promises to pardon our sins and to write His law on our hearts and cause us to know Him. Those are things that the old covenant the Mosaic law could never accomplish. And Christ is the high priest of the new covenant. 
And he executed that new covenant by his bloody sacrifice. All these we've already spoken on in great length. So that God can forgive and forget our sins and still be in strict justice, leaving us justified without a fault before Him. So the new covenant does perfect us like the law never could. But the point is this. The writer of Hebrews says that we are perfected forever by the one-time offering of Christ's body and blood for our sin. And the contrast is the old law, the law could never perfect anybody that was placed under it. The new covenant justifies and makes perfect. The law never could. But in Hebrews 9, the powerlessness of the animal sacrifices required by the law are brought into focus. It wasn't just the law as a whole that couldn't make anything perfect, neither could the animal sacrifices. Hebrews 9, verse 7, but under the second, that is the second holiest of holies, the high priest went alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. And the point there is nobody else could go into the holiest of holies. There was no permanent perfection and remission of sin available for the people under the old covenant. And the priest could only go into the holiest of holies if he carried blood. And he could only do it once a year. And so basically, God has barred entrance into His glorious, majestic presence, except under these special conditions. And the point is that there must be a better way which the Holy Ghost had not yet revealed. Which was a figure, that is, the animal sacrifices in the holy place of the tabernacle, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So here we see the Scriptures make clear that not only could the law not perfect anyone that was under it, neither could the sacrifices of the animals make us perfect, especially as our consciences. Only outwardly, only ceremonially, might the blood of animals cleanse, and the writer of Hebrews talks about that a little later in chapter 9, but not in the heart. In the heart we're still guilty before God for our sins. And thus the animal sacrifices and the gifts, other gifts, could not make perfect anyone in their consciences before a holy God. And then finally, at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 10, this truth is reiterated, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never by those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Here is the final authoritative statement that the animal sacrifices could not make the penitent perfect. 
Because if they could, then they would stop, wouldn't they? If they could make a sinner perfect, they'd cease to be offered because the sinners would be purged of their sin and therefore be guilt-free before God. But the sinners were not purged of their sin and they were still guilty before God and therefore the offerings had to be repeated continuously. But now, but now, verse 14, but now, for by one offering Christ hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So you see how the writer of Hebrews uses this term perfected to contrast the imperfection of the law and of the animal sacrifices. They could never make the sinner perfect. With the sacrifice of Christ offered once in the end of time, which does perfect all those who are sanctified by the offering, that is, all those who are by the will of God to be saved by the power of Christ. That's why Christ's offering is one time only, because He has perfected, already perfected, it says. He has perfected all the people that are sanctified by the sacrifice. That's why His offering is one time only. Because sacrifices that make us perfect before God need never be repeated. This, of course, is a challenge to the Roman Catholic system, a false system of the Mass and the priests continually representing the sacrifice for the remission of sin. No, the Scriptures teach us that by the one-time sacrifice of Christ's body and blood, we are forever perfected who are joined unto Christ by faith. That Christ would perfect His people by taking away their sins by His one sacrifice is a constant theme that is found throughout the Scriptures, isn't it? We've preached on this topic many, many times, haven't we? But recall this in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter like a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. It pleased the Lord to crush him. He hath put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then this morning we read in John's Gospel in the first chapter, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Never could be said of any other sacrifice but the sacrifice of God's Lamb that it should take away sin, that it should perfect those for whom it is offered up by the great high priest. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. 
but that He should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon Him. And I knew Him not, but He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit ascending and remaining on Him, the same is He which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Here is the solution to the problem of sin before God. God provided Himself a lamb for a sacrifice that all of us, like little Isaac, could be taken off the altar of judgment and Christ could be laid there and suffer and die in our place that we might go free. And as our high priest Jesus made one sacrifice of Himself to God in our place and for our crimes laid upon Him, He thereby perfected us forever unto God. And we celebrate our high priest's great work to save us by quoting His words of promise just before He made His sacrifice for us. We know that text so well, don't we? As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is My body. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. For the remission of sin. That's what we celebrate every Lord's Day around the Lord's table. For all who trust in Jesus, His body and blood were sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins according to the promise of the new covenant which God had made to us. And as we partake of this Lord's table, let us think of how glorious it is that the Lord Jesus had given us this celebration, this remembrance, so that we could have our minds drawn back to those truths which He spoke and which He carried out, more importantly, on Calvary's tree that He gave His body to be broken for us and that He poured out His blood to make a remission, a forgiveness of our sins before a righteous God. Just as the writer of Hebrews is impressing upon the Jewish believers that by one sacrifice, Christ has forever perfected those that He came to save. Those for whom He acts as our great High Priest. It's wonderful to know that in the appointment that God made by Solomon the Christ to be the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, there is the inevitable outworking, the mandatory outworking, that he must have a better sacrifice, one that actually perfects. And praise God, he does have a better sacrifice, and he made that better sacrifice, and it has, it's declared to us, has perfected all those who come under the blood of Jesus. All those who put their trust in Jesus, all those whom God has given unto Christ 
with a solemn oath that he should save. That sacrifice has perfected. We stand before God by the blood of Christ already made perfect, you see. That God legally accounts us to be perfect without fault, justified. See Romans 3 at verse 26 and so forth. Without fault, justified already. Even though in our own frail and broken and sinful bodies, we still do sin. But as the songwriter put it, one day when we see Jesus with our own eyes, we'll sin and sigh no more. Behind us all of sorrow, naught but joy before. Praise God. Let's give thanks for the Lord's table and for how it describes for us that sacrifice, that one sacrifice by which He has perfected His people. Give thanks first for the bread that pictures the body of Christ. O God, our Father, we rejoice that You have sanctified us by the body of Christ and that You have perfected us by the body of Christ. And now there's no more works righteousness for us to achieve in order to be made right with You. For Christ has reconciled us unto You in His perfecting of us by the sacrifice that He made. And we thank You that He never has to repeat it, that it's over and done with. That's why He sat down. That's why He's at rest at the throne of heaven. And we thank You that it accomplishes completely and perfectly everything which You've promised that it would. And help us to rest in that promise. Help us to rejoice in it. Help us to glory in the promise of being made perfect by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that we would never, never ever dare to suggest to ourselves in our minds or allow the thought to lodge there that anything else but the blood and righteousness of Jesus is the way by which, the means by which we are made perfect in Your sight. And help us to live our lives in accordance with an understanding of the great sacrifice which Christ has made for His people. And bless us as we partake of this feast that our eyes will be open and fixed upon our Redeemer and that we will glory in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread, He blessed it and He broke it, and He said, take and eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. I'd like to ask my Father if He'd give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for us. The Scriptures tell us after they had supped that He took the cup and He blessed it. And He said, drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in My blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of Me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's sing number 142 in the Black Book. According to Thy gracious Word in deep humility, this would I do, O Christ my Lord, I would remember Thee. Thy body given for my sake, my bread from heaven shall be. Thy testamental cup I take, and thus remember Thee. 142.